0: welcome to the Jack and around show hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner and 2022 Grammy nominee Jack Ingram here's a one minute preview of episode 18 with special guest singer-songwriter Hayes Carl
1: so I didn't start gig until I got out of college and I said mom I want to be a country singer her first thing was can you sing <laughs> yeah. and then the second thing was don't you have to be like impoverished to be a country singer like you, you grew up in the in the woodlands you know or are you gonna sing about how they ran out of towels at the country club <laughs> that's my favorite <laughs> I, I felt the same
0: way whenever i would tell people i was, I was like yeah man this, can, this might come off kind of weird
1: i mean there's something to be said about there's an authenticity if it, you know if you grew up on a on a farm or rodeo in or or whatever to sing about certain things but i don't think you need anything to you know to sing about your own heart or your own emotional experience as a human but you know that was definitely starting off it 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 felt like i i struggled a little bit with feeling like people's perception of me was based on the town i grew up in rather than my actual story or or my work i know i ran for a
0: long time i'm from houston just north of houston right right yeah podcast is brought to you by lone star dry goods collection of handcrafted quality goods the truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas and Willow Park, Texas, Fort Worth. Visit lonestardrygoods.com for more information. I'm producer Matt Pivato. Today's guest, Hayes Carl, has released eight records and has won nearly a dozen awards,
1: including seven Austin Music Awards and an Americana Music awards. Additionally, Hayes' songs have been cut by the likes of Jim Lauderdale, Kenny Chesney, Brothers Osborne, Lan Womack, and, of
0: course, your host, Jack Ingram. Learn more about Hayes, Jack, and the show by checking the audio description or by visiting jackandaroundshow.com where you will find the most up-to-date show information, including links to all past episodes. Don't forget, check out Jack's show on YouTube and across all social media platforms. Last but not least, do us a huge favor and help us spread the word by giving us a big old five-star review. Here's episode 18. Roll. Ladies and gentlemen, hey's Carl.
1: Well, hey. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. How you been? I can't complain. I can't complain. You can. I could, but it won't do me any good. And I'm happy to be here, man. Things are things are going well. So I've been looking forward to this for a while.
0: So how many gigs have you been playing since COVID? Like when did you when did you pick back up?
1: Uh I I did a few during the summer of 2020 when things calmed down for a minute, and then I did a a, a few more this last summer. Uh, but I picked up in earnest around September, or I did a couple green halls in August, and then and then um, and then really started hitting the road in September. So,
0: how was your footing? Like you got your sea legs back?
1: Yeah, I'm there now. I'm there now. It's a different it's a different deal. You know, I did a live stream like a lot of folks. I did a weekly live stream. I think we did like sixty-five episodes or something, and and that really, yeah, that and that was a lifeline for me in a lot of ways, um, not just financially, um, but like, you know, it was it was just me and my wife trapped in our house, and and I started finding ways to. I, I thought every week like these people are going to disappear, like this the bottom is going to fall out, mm-hmm. and so and i didn't have a backup plan <laughs> for anything and so i started try you know I would, I would make postcards and send them out and and every we do that and i started taking requests and i just tried to keep people engaged you sent
0: them out snail mail
1: what's that or emails snail mail no shit oh yeah
0: oh that's great how'd yeah. you how'd you how'd you have a long list of addresses well when they age? when they
1: give you money on paypal or or venmo their ad, or on paypal their address automatically comes up wow and so my wife started doing it and then i thought that's a good idea so i started doing it and uh so i've got this collection of like 50 postcards that's uh, great had to come up the new one every week but anyway i i through that i sort of had this built this connection with my fans that i didn't really have before like i got to know them and they got to know me they were in my house every week and they Mm -hmm. met my dogs and my 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 son did magic and and allison and would come in and, and um and so I, that was that was a lifeline for me just like emotionally and mentally to know there were people out there uh at a time when it the world was feeling strange and and um uh, i don't know it just it just kept me afloat so i got really used to doing that and i really enjoyed <laughs> sitting down i'd be done with my show and eating dinner at my own table at eight o'clock That's nice. Which is a very different thing.
0: How did you approach the set list every week? Did you change it or did you?
1: Yeah, so after the first couple of shows, I was like, you know, I've got maybe 100 songs. There's only so many times people want to hear it. And so I started going back to my covers days, which, you know, I started playing four hours a night in the bar doing covers. Right. But as you become a songwriter and start putting records out, uh i i i stopped doing that mm-hmm. um I, I started thinking well they they didn't come to hear me do covers they came to hear these songs i wrote um and I, I it would have been smart to recognize that you can do both like todd does a really good job of that and you do sometimes too the you work in covers the things that people know yeah that you do well um and um i i I just didn't for whatever reason i think just like
0: you and me like most of the covers i do were on my first set list yeah (laughs) like it's all the old shit you know jerry jeff or yeah
1: yeah i just kind of stopped doing it and and um and i lost touch i lost connection with that music which was a, a real downside to it was this all this stuff i used to know by heart i just i lost connection with and and so one of the upsides of this whole deal, these concerts at home, was I started digging up all these old covers. I found my set list from 1998, <laughs> yeah, and you know all all the list of handwritten covers that I knew and and um and I reconnected with that music. I reconnected with with Christofferson and Prine and and Billy Joe and uh, Shaver and and on and on and on and all these people jimmy buffett and, mm-hmm. and the, the dylan stuff or the just all these things that have been so formative to me i got back into them and 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 that did me a lot of good as well so uh and then the last show of every month i just let the fans pick it up but I, they had to tell a story and so i would say send in a request but you have to tell me a story like how you're doing during the pandemic or what this song means to you or right. whatever and boy that was I would read, I had a four hour show one night and I would just, I would play as many as I could. And the stories of these people would, you know, I'm a, just that's lost. That's killer, somebody man. That is whatever. And that's a connection. It, it really felt special in a way that I did not foresee. And that was really humbling to me. And, um, and now going back out again, I I'm seeing these people and, and, uh, they feel special. Like they, they're, they're like, you, you kept us going during the pandemic. And every Tuesday at six thirty, we were there. Wow. And, uh, uh, so it, it, it was, it was a, a silver lining for mm-hmm. me for sure.
0: That's funny, man. Cause I, I shied away from doing all that online stuff during the pandemic. And I'm mm-hmm. looking back and hearing you tell that story, it makes me go, Hmm, really missed an opportunity to, to make a real solid connection.
1: Well, it, you know, I, I, like I said, I worried about how it was going to end and, um, and also, you know, I, there's times where I definitely felt silly sitting there in my living room, just playing songs, but there was something really special about it. I, I recognize that that's, that's actually where I'm at my best. Right. Like, I mean, uh, uh, I'm not a front man. I'm realizing I, 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 That's my job in some ways when I'm, when I have a band, but it's not my comfort spot. Mm -hmm. My comfort zone is sitting around talking and, um, and there was nobody talking back. So I would just talk and riff and ramble. And once I got out of my own head and could relax about it, it became quite fun. And that's
0: fantastic,
1: man. Just was able to open up and and not feel like I had to be cool. You know, I, if something, when, when Prine died, I'd play a Prine song and cry and, and, think nothing of it or 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 when i was down or up or whatever it was or i just i felt like it was totally okay to just be myself there's nobody there um and that was a trick some performers have that too they can get on stage and go into that mode where they are uh oblivious to everything around them they are just having that experience and everybody can witness it right and um i've never been really able to do that. I've been performing. And this, those live streams sort of allowed me to just be. And, and, and that was interesting and informative for me to find out like what I'm really like, just me when I'm not trying to get applause.
0: Right. Is that instant ratification is so important to us on stage because it kind of
1: tells you, tells you how you're doing and you can end up chasing it. And, and what I find is that gets me away from myself i I end up not being i end up getting disconnected from myself and my own intentions because i'm going well what do they like they like that maybe i should do more of that and that's not that's not good for me um it's not good for anybody really yeah
0: i mean i you know you've seen me chase it and you just end up stepping over the top and stepping on your own toes
1: well we probably all chase it to some degree some of some people just figure out that's a that doesn't work or or we find our own way to you know or sometimes it 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 can work and it's 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 complicated you know I, like i still don't have this figured out and um right. that's it's part of the fun but also part of the frustration is you're like god i'm at this point you would think i would know what i'm doing up there and i still well don't always have a, a really intentional game plan Cause part of it's just chasing you that put feeling. You're thousand you know? hours though, man. Oh yeah, yeah. easily. How yeah. old are you now? Forty five. Wow. Well, I'll be forty six in a couple weeks.
0: No, you started out in drama in high school.
1: Yeah, got the Letterman jacket and everything. <laughs> <laughs> were
0: you were you into acting or were you behind the scenes?
1: Uh both, both. I mean, I played sports, um, but would you play? <clears throat> I played everything to a point and. Um, uh and that point was when i was not good enough to carry on any further so um i think my freshman year i played baseball basketball football and then and then i had a jaw surgery and and uh they told me i couldn't get hit anymore so i quit football and i wasn't good at football i wasn't good at any of these things i was just good enough to you know make the teams right and uh i played basketball till my junior year and then i gave that up but i did theater every year and and that was my my love uh at that time and and um did
0: you think you're gonna be an actor
1: yeah i thought it was a possibility uh but what i realized was i wasn't that great an actor uh you know beyond just the hey i like to be on stage and i'm uh, this is fun for me and there's an energy to that but i wasn't particularly nuanced i, I could just talk loudly right um, but what I realized was I loved the social component of it, and I loved that there were girls there. Um, you know, I was being in a locker room with a bunch of dudes is one thing, and you know, I'd go to the theater and everybody's changing clothes backstage, and I've got a scene where we have to kiss this, yeah. this girl, and <laughs> and uh, um, and also there was a much broader sort of group of people. People were reading books and and smoking dope, and and people were gay or straight or. or all, it was just it was just a a wider range of 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 folks yeah. um and and um because you know we didn't have a coach threatening to whoop our ass if if we went astray of what they thought we should do yeah you know? and, it was, and
0: it was i remember figuring that out too I'm going, oh, there's no jockstrap jokes in here right like
1: <laughs> right so when did you get in like i
0: i i took a uh Drama one class for elective my senior year. And uh, you know, the baby class, uh-huh. drama one oh one or whatever. And when the UIL play came up, the one act play that they yep. do for competition, this guy named Chuck B. Alice was usually the guy that had out all the parts. Mm-hmm. And um <laughs> they were they were, they were doing this story called The Rainmaker. Oh yeah. And uh
1: We did it my freshman year. Yeah. So they came in and
0: said, Jack, Sandy wants you to try out for the part. We should,
1: we should mention that you and I went to the same high school. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And have the same theater teacher. Yeah.
0: We did. Sandy Erlandson. Yeah. And Miss Godwin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was my gregarious self in class and cutting up and having a ball. Just uh, just with that kind of energy, you know, the, the drama energy yeah. of the people. And so she, she goes, stand on the table and tell me you're going to make it rain. And I did. And she goes, you got the part. <laughs> I, I mean, can I've totally envision this since. happening. <laughs> Isn't
1: that great? Wow.
0: Because they said Chuck just wouldn't do it. it whatever that thing is. Yeah. That you could stand up and bullshit somebody. Yeah. That was always... You have that in space. <laughs> that was my thing.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when did you start playing guitar? Uh,
1: when I was 15. I went to... Um, my family was not particularly religious but occasionally they would take us to the take me to the unitarian church in the woodlands and, and the unitarians are not known for their choirs um so they would have rather than a choir they would have performers come mm-hmm. and so one day it'd be somebody reading from Dante's inferno and one day it would be a folk trio singing Dylan songs and I would just happened to be there on that day. Mm-hmm. And I heard these songs. And I loved country music. And I loved rock and roll. But when I heard these Dylan songs, it, it just blew the doors open. It wasn't even him singing them. But it was these songs just had this power and opened up this world of possibility of what what music could be. When was that, around
0: 1990 be. or something?
1: Yeah, 89, 90, something like that and uh um so i asked my parents for a guitar for christmas and they they got it for me so i would have been 14 i turned 15 a couple of weeks later and they got me an alvarez 12 string <laughs> yeah buddy <laughs> but that was in tune <laughs> oh boy and easy to play and uh so you know the st- the strings were like telephone cables and and uh yeah it was a rough start, uh but I still have that guitar you do? and uh yeah, a friend of mine sat on it. We went to New Orleans my senior year, and he got a bit drunk and sat on it and broke cracked the frame uh but years later, I had it converted into a baritone and mm-hmm. um and now I do a lot of my writing on it and it's it's still it's it's really special to me to still own that guitar and still be that's really cool music on
0: it. that's really cool. I wish I had my first guitar. What was yours? Well, the first one I got was a Takamini, and I traded it for that. Um, you probably know that guy, Randy Atkins from Houston. Probably a huge fan of yours. He had that guitar and said, he had, he had Jerry Jeff sign it, me, Todd Snyder. And then as I was signing, I was like, wait a minute, you want my guitar? <laughs> so I traded it for him. Oh, wow. So did you start gigging right away?
1: No, just- no, no, no no i i it took me a long time to even learn how to do anything like i i i had a mel bay chord book and i learned the chords but it was really frustrating because i didn't it didn't translate into songs i was mm-hmm. like okay well i know these chords but i don't know how to play anything and then i finally figured out i got a, a songbooks. so i got a willie nelson songbook. <laughs> it's me too man a jimmy buffett songbook and a bob dylan songbook and then that just that was the key that opened up everything cuz I was like I know the chords, I know the songs and now I see where to play the chord. And then after right. a couple of times through I was like, "Oh, this makes sense." Mm-hmm. And then I didn't need the books anymore cuz I knew all the songs already and there's only you know, I'm not a great guitar player. Is that how you
0: started to write too?
1: I was writing before I, I was copying playing. Them? Well, uh I mean I was I was writing before I was playing, but yeah, it was just it was just copying what I heard he was I was trying to be Shel Silverstein or trying to to be Johnny Cash or or Willie or whatever I just right you know, I thought that was just writing my little poems and then I got the guitar and then it was on I was like okay now I'm now I'm a real deal <laughs> 15 year old <laughs> with my big ideas with, with your dear diary list my dear diary and and uh I got some things to say that people need to hear and uh about my journey. <laughs>
0: That's where your mom comes in. <laughs> I love it that your mom said that. Really? Retell that story, man. That is one of my favorite things.
1: Oh. Where you
0: said you want to be a country
1: singer. Yeah, I guess I was um so I didn't start gigging until I got out of college and and um and I got out of college and I said, Mom, I want to be a country singer. And she, her first thing was, "Can you sing?" <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then the second thing was, "Don't you have to be like impoverished to be a country singer?" Like you, you grew up in the in the woodlands, you know. Are you gonna sing about how they ran out of towels at the country club? <laughs> That's my favorite.
0: <laughs> I, I felt the same way. Whenever I would tell people, I was like, "Yeah, man, this can, this might come off kind of weird." Yeah. Uh, well, what are we gonna write about? But then you figure out. Yeah, you know,
1: we go chase our various addictions and rough lifestyles, and hang out with with enough folks, and and we get our own stories to tell. Mm-hmm. It's uh and you know, there. I mean, there's something to be said about there's an authenticity if you know if you grew up on a on a farm or rodeoing or or, or whatever to sing about certain things, but I don't think you need anything to you know to sing about your own heart or your own emotional experience as a human uh, money is not that and and it was just you know it, and it wasn't like we were
0: right uh
1: uh you know ex- extravagantly rich or anything we weren't at all uh it but we just lived in a town that was sort of known as as uh you know as a planned community so there's like right. there's 1200 people when i moved there now there's a like hundred and 20,000 or something crazy. But yeah, that town
0: has, has grown into itself that, that it doesn't feel like it did when we were there.
1: I uh, can't even, I you get know, lost. Just, I get lost looking at it I earlier. Yeah. But you know, that was definitely starting off. It, it, it felt like I, I struggled a little bit with, with feeling like uh, people's perception of me was based on the town I grew up in rather than my actual story or, or my work and uh, i know i ran from that to get too, over for that. a
0: long time i'm from houston just north of houston
1: right right yeah <laughs> yeah
0: did you gig in college like, where, like nah. when did you when did you get on stage you go oh i think i might be able to do this
1: well i went through college knowing that's what i wanted to do but i lived in a dry county so there was nowhere to gig really so i did a uh we had, would have like uh, they call it coffee houses and you would get up and it was like a little talent show for the students. And so my first time I did that, I sang Don't Think Twice, It's Alright <laughs> by Dylan and Walking Blues by Robert Johnson. I had this kid who played guitar with me. I call my kid. He's he's now a brain surgeon or something. Right. Um, but he was also a great guitar player. And uh we did that. And then my first or my second show was singing No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley at a drag Beauty Queen contest. <laughs> Um, but after that, I walked out and there was a guy there who said, uh, "Just this this guy," and he goes, "That was pretty good. Or, you got something?" Just offhand compliment about
0: just some random dude that was in there.
1: Yeah, just, he, I mean, I knew the guy; he was a senior. I was a freshman, but it was it's just I think about it a lot the power that a a few encouraging words can have because just one guy saying, "You're not bad," and I was like. So you're, saying I, got so you're saying I got a chance. So you I got a chance. And uh, so, you know, I spent the next three years just wishing I could get out of college, but but uh, there's nowhere to play, really. Um, what college was it? Hendrix College in Conway, Arkansas. And um, Ben Nichols from Lucero was a couple years ahead of me. Uh, Graham Wilkinson lives here in town. Mm-hmm. Went there. His older brother, Aaron Wilkinson, was uh, a year below me, and he was a musician. He He passed away, but... Um, So a a fair number of musicians came out of the little school. And, um, but uh, when I graduated, I went and detasseled corn in Iowa for like a month. And then I moved down to Crystal Beach. What'd you say? I detasseled corn in Iowa. What is that? In Iowa. Um, Well, it's basically you just walk through a field. Is is my woodland showing? (laughs) This is I don't think this is common knowledge. I'm not even <laughs> uh, I'm not even gonna explain it very well, but uh um basically involved uh twenty of my college buddies and, and my ex wife uh uh camping in a cornfield in Iowa and basically basically migrant labor. You just walk up and down these these rows of corn and and pick off sort of reproductive part and uh um and you get paid to do it so we were out there for a while it was the best shape of my life and wow uh, i wasn't very good at it but it was a good experience and gave me a little money and and then went went to the beach and started uh trying to figure out how i was gonna play music. so how long were you there in iowa oh, like a month
0: okay yeah. then you y'all you just packed up and drove down to galveston
1: yeah our crystal beach yeah on the Bolivar peninsula so you mm-hmm. go to galveston take a ferry across and there's a peninsula there and that's that's where i decamped to and that's where it all began for me. So you were married? No, 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 no. Uh, but I, the uh, the woman who became my uh, wife was at the time my girlfriend, and she was on that on that trip. But was uh, she
0: with you? Like, did she come down and live with you?
1: No, 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 not not until many years later. Oh wow! Yeah, I got out of college, was declared myself single, and. And went and, and, tried, got gig, and got a gig, baby. Got a gig. What was the name of the place? Bob's Sports Bar and World Famous Grill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I, people always go, How do you get started in this? I'm like, Learn how to tame a crowd in a sports bar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just hanging out. I was doing like uh, landscaping and, you know, getting paid under the table to, do stuff there wasn't much going on out there and we would go for lunch to this bar and they had a joke that but it's it's real they had mustard ketchup and a can of off on every table yeah i called it crystal beach cologne and uh uh one day i just went to the owner bob and i said hey man um i'm a singer what what, how would you feel if i just set up over here in the corner
0: did you know him did he know you not not really out there
1: i mean yeah i mean i guess a little bit I, i can't remember how well we knew each other but uh, uh, I just said you don't have to pay me anything, but could I just set up in the corner? I'll put a tip jar out, and he said, "Yeah, sure." So I got a PV acoustic amp, mm-hmm. and you could put a a microphone and a guitar through the it, amp through both of through both of them through the one amp and a mic stand, and and uh, I set up and started doing four hour shows, and that was how I kind of got my start. Was it all just covers? Yeah, yeah, four hours of covers, and then. And then, so I, I started there and then there was a bunch of bars down there. So I started working at the stingery and the ship's wheel and genies one and genies two and all these different joints. And, um, uh, did you have like a following
0: or was it always just random?
1: It's just random. Yeah. Some nights I'd play for two people and some nights it would be packed and, uh, it just depended on the season and what was happening. Um, I had one guy, a guy named Homer, Homer Fry, who lived in a trailer behind the bar. At Bob's and um he would uh he was like my uh what's what's Rocky's coach? Um trainer? Yeah, uh Mickey. Mickey. He was my Mickey. <laughs> yeah. So he would he would sit at the corner of the bar drinking Milwaukee old Milwaukee Tall Boys and smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes all day. And he would have like a mesh tank top <laughs> and short shorts and sandals, and he was like seventy. Yeah. And he would he would push me, and I, if I wasn't try, and he'd be like, "You're not doing it enough, Hayes, try harder from the crowd." Oh yeah. Oh, well, the, the crowd was him, right? It was just me and him. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And, and he would he would push me, but if somebody cut came me in mick. cut me. Mick. If somebody came in and started shit, which happens you know regularly, he was the first guy. You know, he was my defender as well, and um, so it was this funny relationship. when he died, they buried him with the remote control from the TV at Bob's. Oh, you're kidding me! Nah. So a lot of colorful characters down How there. How long ago did he pass away? Oh, it's been it's been a minute, um, probably oh five, oh six, something like that. How'd you get
0: involved with uh, Sisters Morales and that
1: whole crowd? So I was waiting tables down in Galveston, um, and one night I got off work. And i was going to go out to a bar with some some co-workers and the bar was closed mm-hmm. and so i walk back to my car and i just hear like music in the distance and i i turned down this alley and i follow the music and i walk into the door and it's the little folk club the old quarter acoustic cafe and there's somebody on stage and there's a really cute bartender and there's this shrine to Towns, Van Zant on one wall, and Lightning and Hopkins and Blaze Foley. And I'm like, what is this place? And I go over to the guy. It turns out to be the owner, Rex Bell, who used to play bass with Towns and Lightning, All right? And I say, "What's happening?" He says, "Open mic night." And I said, "You mean can I get up and sing?" He goes, "Yeah." So I went out to my car. I had my guitar in my trunk, and um, came in. The twelve string? No, I was playing a, <laughs> I was playing a Sigma. By this point, um, which having it's not good to have expensive guitars on a beach because my strings would rust out every every day. I'd sit on the porch every night and play. Right. Anyway, got on stage and um, did a couple songs, and that was it. It became my second home. So I started tending bar there. I started doing open mic nights, and I just hung out. Any minute I was not gigging in Crystal Beach or working, I came over to Galveston, and – Hung out there and then I started and I got to watch people coming through. So Steve Fromholtz or Vince Bell or or um Ray Wiley Hubbard or or Sisters Morales or um Shake Russell and Dana Cooper, all these fantastic songwriters mm-hmm. who who were like touring came through. Did you know point? them? Did
0: you have their records and all that?
1: Uh no. No. I mean, I, I was like mostly mainstream country and, and it went as far as Christofferson, you know, mm-hmm. like Kind of, and and there are a few obscure things, but did you know like, Ray? I knew who Ray was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much beyond Up Against the Wall. Um, you <laughs> I know, I I grew up that. with the sort of like I had Jerry Jeff on my wall and 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 Willie and all those guys, but the 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 guy Clark's and the the Steve Fromholzes and the um, you know those folks I, I I wasn't as familiar with. Yeah, and then I got an, a real education in the, in the towns. school and then all these songwriters through that and then you had all these people coming through who were still alive towns died the year before i started playing there Um, but he had all these old running buddies and musicians and groupies and drug dealers and all these folks from his orbit and then you had a lot of, of people like i mentioned that that were really great songwriters who were out touring the circuit which i didn't know existed right and I just thought you play covers, or you're on CMT. Like there is no in between, right? And and I saw you. No, that's I, I left that out. In college, I watched. I watched. Uh, in high school, we would sell your CDs. My buddy Richie Ross. Oh yeah, uh, we had this fireworks stand. Uh, there's, I guess, his girlfriend's dad had a fireworks stand, and they would sell your CDs at the fireworks at the fireworks stand. The firework stand. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and I remember. Driving around one day in high school and hearing, was it like uh, a butterfly or uh, there was some song that you had? I just remember them coming on and saying the new single by Jack Ingram. I was like, wow, that's a DJ. Flutter. Flutter. That's a DJ playing a song by a guy who grew up in the town that I grew up in or am growing up in. And I've never heard of this. I didn't know this was a thing. And right. then I was in college and I watched an episode of Austin city limits that you were on. And yeah. I was like, there again. Okay. So I'm following, I'm following what you're doing and going, so this again, is, this is accessible. So there is a chance. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I got a chance. And, um, and so then I, I get to the old quarter and eventually I start getting to open for these people. And, and I got to open for the sisters Morales and, and they, along with Ray Wiley Hubbard were the first people to take me out, take me off the Island and they would take me to Houston oh, wow. to play Dan Electro's Guitar Bar or the Mon- Comical's Monkey Duck. Right. And, and I was like, people are paying money for tickets to come to this. And then they'd take me to Hellotus or they'd take me to um, uh, Poor David's Pub in, in Dallas or um, uh, I can't remember the dance hall that closed down, Sanger Hall. Sanger Hall. Yeah. So all these different places, and all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, there's a scene. There's 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 clubs all over Texas, and, right. and there's audience all over Texas." And uh, so they they started running me around. Uh, and then when I w- came time to make my first record, I was just going to do it on my own. And Lisa offered to produce it, and that really changed my whole life because I, I don't know that anybody would ever heard, but I did. But Lisa took me to Pertinalis, Willie Nelson Studio, got a professional group of musicians and produced uh the record a uh, hundred times better than i would have which
0: what record was that
1: flowers and liquor yeah yeah which is how i met you and didn't turcott put that out he did after the fact so um i'd sent him a, a demo that i d- had done and then he 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 never called back and so i just went and made this record on my own i right. I, I took out a loan and went and made the, bought a, bought a guitar not a single <laughs> I bought the guitar I still play today. Wow. The day before I started the record. And then I went to Pertinales, made the record, and I just sent it to Brad Turcott, who had this little label Compadre Records. And I thought, what the hell? I'll just send it to him. And he called me back and and I ended up signing a, a one record licensing deal with him, which also was really uh hugely helpful in that it I just I knew nothing about putting out a record. I knew nothing about anything. I was right. I was a cover singer. Right. And and Bars with four people. He sent me that record. He sent you that record, which is how I met you. Yeah. Because I think he got back to me that you told him you liked it or wanted to to meet or, or I could come to your show and say hey or something. Yeah. So I went to the Mucky Duck, and you had a double show, I think maybe one of those Acoustic Motel mm-hmm. shows. And um, so I watched the second show, and I stood around after you watched you sign 100 CDs and <laughs> everything. And finally, everybody left, and I walked up and introduced myself.
0: I remember. I remember like it was yesterday hearing that record, going, "This is good." He's from my hometown.
1: Hmm.
0: You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of the same way. You, you start putting things together, we're like, "Oh, these songs are fully baked." More or less.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I can't speak to the quality of them, but I I, I know that that your encouragement and, um, uh, enthusiasm and, uh, for it meant a lot to me. And then, and then also there was so much I didn't know about the record business. And, and, and I remember you spent a lot of time on the phone with me, talking me through it. And there's, you know, there's a handful of people. There's a lot of folks that have helped me out along the way, but, but, uh, Lisa Morales, Ray Wiley Hubbard, and you, I think, uh, off the top of my head, are probably the three who, who went the farthest and 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 um, did the most to help me get started. Yeah. And I always I appreciate that because there was nothing in it for y'all guys. Like, um, and and I, I try to remember that and and be as half as gracious as as y'all were to me. Um, I don't know that I am, but it's something I aspire to because. I, I think about, I, I, I wouldn't be here without folks helping me along the way. It's funny so. how you
0: just put one foot in front of you, get a gig, then get another one. And then you start just learning shit. Yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, that's one of the things that we do as humans. If you went through something and learned something, it's like, oh, that guy's good. Maybe I can teach him not to be an idiot like I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just give him some information. Now how did that all turn how did that all get parlayed into being on Lost Highway and those records? Because those are some, those are some great records.
1: Well, um, I made the one record. Uh Brad didn't want to re-sign me, so I took out another loan, made a second record. Mm-hmm. Um it it did well. Uh KHYI started playing it and um uh and started getting playing shows with a band. And like all of a sudden I started to have an audience.
0: What songs were those?
1: Uh, down the road tonight was mm-hmm. the one that really got a lot of airplay and just opened up a whole world for me. Um, little rock was on there. Wish I hadn't stayed so long, Uh long way home. Take me away. Allison, uh, sang that was the first time we sang together. Oh, really? Allison more my wife sings on, uh, on that. And, um, uh, so it just, uh, did you know her that
0: well at that time?
1: No, I mean, I knew her a little bit. I was, I was hanging out at a, a, a bar that, that, that she used to hang out at and I wanted to know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think we all felt that at some point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but, uh, I was just thrilled that she sang on it with me. And on that record I did, I had two co-writes on that record, three co-writes, one with John Evans, one with Ray Wiley Hubbard and one with Guy Clark. And, um, uh, it was, um, I started hanging out in Nashville a bit more there, uh, cut that record there with RS field and, and, um, anyway, it just sort of, I, I did, I got a manager at that time, Mike Crowley and he and I, that's what I mean.
0: Like, how'd you hook up with RS field?
1: Yeah. I I met RS, uh, Tracy Thomas, I think, uh, was my publicist. She now mm-hmm. manages, uh, Jason Osborne, um, Um, but back then she was a a publicist and, and she'd worked a record. And so she'd introduced me to a lot of folks in town, Kathy Whitley and, and, uh, a lot of the folks we, we both know. And, um,
0: so at this point you're starting to roll. I'm starting to starting to go, a few things things are starting to happen, you know?
1: And, uh, um, yeah. And, and so I start to have a little bit of, you know, be able to tour a little bit. You took me out, um, Let me jump on the bus one time. That's right. Which is fun because it was, you know, so many times it's everybody's labels and the managers and everybody's talking, does this make sense and do this and the money and that blah, blah, blah. And I was at some charity golf tournament with you. And, uh, you are like I'm going out on the road tomorrow. And I said, that's cool. That sounds like a lot of fun or something. You're like, you want to go? I was like, yeah. All right. <laughs> Bus leaves at eight. And so yeah. I just came and jumped on, sold merch for you, not very well.
0: Yeah, that's when we went up to the went that up in Green Bay and Chicago yeah, yeah, yeah. and Midwest. Yeah. In
1: Midwest. Yeah. Um anyway. And then one day, uh somebody from Lost Highway, Kim Bowie, uh and uh, AR person at Lost Highway, came to a show and reached out and um I had I had formed a record label with my manager, Mike, and and Uh, so that little rock record we, we put out together. Um, and so I was a free agent and they, they came and asked if I wanted to be on a label with with Lyle Lovett and Willie Nelson. And
0: that was a big one. I remember being so jealous of that label because it was, it was just so freeing Mm -hmm. what y'all got to do. And, and they put real money into those, you know, into promoting those records.
1: They did. They did. Um, I didn't realize at the time how significant that was. Um any of it actually. It's funny now with uh, these years that have gone on, I can look back with a different perspective of where I was, of where that label was, what the music industry was and and of how uh people I don't know might have seen me. It's like I see people coming up all the time, they're the next new songwriter and they're doing great and they got this thing and I'm I'm like there's a little, little jealousy and, and a little, uh, you know, curiosity and a lot of different feelings about it. And, um, and it's just finally dawned on me. as like, I think I was that guy for a minute. Yeah. You Um,
0: never get to be the new kid in town twice. Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's Uh, the long and short of that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unless I guess maybe I'd completely reinvent myself, but, uh, it's, it's probably too late in the game to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a great label, and and they let me do whatever I wanted to do, and were really supportive, and uh, so I, I lucked out with that.
0: So do you, you just put out your records on your own now?
1: No, I'm with uh, uh Dual Tone. Are My you, last two records have been with Dual Tone.
0: Who, who runs that? Scott Robinson? Yeah. I worked with Scott in Dallas when he first started in the music business. Yeah. Back in 93, maybe? Yeah. 94? Yeah, That's, is Chris Knight still on that record label?
1: I don't know if he is or not. Um, Shovels and Ropes on there, Shaky Graves. Um, they, but you know, they used to do Guy Clark stuff and Rodney Foster, and they they had a lot of uh, things that I I respected and and still do respect. To, um, and and they've been good to me. You know, it's I'm starting to feel a bit more like, uh, you know, Todd's song, the old timer. I've been through seven managers, five labels, a thousand picks and patch cables, and. uh, <laughs> I used to just, I think, oh, that's funny. I had one manager and one label, mm-hmm. and now I've I'm a third manager and my fifth label of some sort, and, uh, um, and yeah, a lot of bottles of booze and bags of pot. Yeah, <laughs> and so on, and so on.
0: <laughs> like a bunch of pinball, just rolling around, getting knocked around by the paddles.
1: Yeah, I'd like to be the paddle.
0: Yeah. Maybe one day. How do we do that? <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> so what's next, man?
1: Man, I'm uh I'm really enjoying writing songs in a way that that I I um I, I think I got real stagnant for a while in a in a lot of different parts of life and, and definitely creatively. And Felt pretty disconnected from the whole deal and from myself. And um, I've been trying to find that spark and that love again and just being present with myself and with my life. And and I really appreciate songwriting. When I was younger, it was about catching inspiration and lightning in a bottle. And I thought whether that was alcohol-fueled or drug-fueled, or just some crazy life experience that was the key to everything mm-hmm. and and uh i just thought you ca- caught that inspiration and that was it that was the key that's how everybody did it and I, there's certainly a lot of that for a lot of people mm-hmm. um but i'm uh and i used that to some degree but then i, I started thinking what happens when the inspiration is not there and um uh so I, I these days i try to find the inspiration. And I also try to have my tools sharp and ready, so that when I have it or don't have it, either way, I can still work mm-hmm. at, at, at my job, which is to write songs. And um, did
0: Allison produce the last rep, this this latest record? She
1: co-produced it with Kenny Greenberg, and she co-produced the one before with uh, uh, Brad Jones.
0: How's working with her in the studio?
1: It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's um, you know she's an artist of first class and and i respect i respect her um skills and talent and point of view Mm -hmm. and and i'm when i'm in the studio i'm uh i have terrible recall i can't tell you where i ate i can't tell you my favorite movie i can't tell you anybody's name and i certainly can't tell you which song had the guitar tone that that i'm trying to get when i'm in the studio or what record my reference points are all over the place Mm -hmm. not great and she has an amazing recall and ability to 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 put words to what i'm feeling and she knows me well enough to do that so it's 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 wonderful for me to have somebody that can help me articulate that vision uh creatively um when i'm in the studio so i'm not just saying play louder and and uh being a caveman about it uh right. she can say well you know we, we, i think you're thinking the sticky fingers meets this know. meets that yeah and, and, the and then the band's like oh well why do not you just say so and we can do that and isn't that amazing
0: yeah those musicians when you go i need mean, sound like frank schnachter meets Lyle lovett meets tom petty meets
1: whoever tom waits
0: and they go oh yeah yeah we got that
1: yeah Instead of just, I need it to be blue <laughs> you know, or Did you something. Did you hear that joke? Abstracted? What's that? <laughs> I guess it was
0: Art Garfunkel was playing with Barry Beckett, and he said that. He goes, he's out there playing piano, and Art goes on the talk back and says, man, I just wanted it to sound a little more purple. Yeah. I suppose Barry goes, hey, man, come on here and find a fucking purple. <laughs> I'll, I'll, he goes, I'll play that all night long. <laughs>
1: yeah well so it's 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 definitely a bonus to have somebody that can articulate that vision and then and then you know kenny greenberg's one of the world's great guitar players and Mm -hmm. a great producer and uh so it was a it was a really cool combo for me and they worked together for 20 years and so I, i felt uh i've never felt super comfortable in the studio um and maybe I shouldn't, I don't know, but, uh, uh, I felt like I was in good hands.
0: Yeah. Do you, Do you normally take songs that are fully baked in the studio or do you, or you write on the fly?
1: Both. I've never done a record where I wasn't writing to the last minute. Um, but, uh, but I also have never gone in without anything done. And, uh, so I usually have about 80% of a record or at least, at least, a bunch of songs uh, ready to go. And mostly it's like, I don't have the time or the budget to to be in there forever.
0: Well, this last record, I remember you sent me versions of it and then you redid it. A lot of it. Didn't you?
1: Well, I did those early versions were probably the uh, Patreon. So I I did, I've been doing Patreon since the pandemic started. Uh, Cause you know, we lost our ability to tour. So I was scrambling. Is that was, still a
0: good deal? Yeah.
1: I, I like, I like it. It's, 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 it's a way for folks to support artists, you know, photographers, musicians, journalists, whatever, graphic designers, um, that they, that they like. Um, but for me, it's an outlet, uh, for those songs. I it took five years in between came Mag yo-yo and lovers and leavers. Mm-hmm. And I was going through some, some stuff in my own life that made me not want to, uh, write songs and not put music out in the world. And, um, but I, uh, then when I started wanting to write again, you, you probably have this, like you have songs, but it's like, well, it doesn't fit this record or mm-hmm. this is a, a cool song, but it's not for me necessarily. Um, uh, and I didn't have a publishing deal. So there was nothing to do with these songs. And with Patreon, I could, I could release them. I could go in the studio and not sit out five years. Mm-hmm. I could just go in with Charlie Sexton or I could go in with, um john evans or any number of people um and work with great producers or musicians and flesh out these ideas so i could do a reggae version of something if i wanted and yeah i'm not gonna put that on a record but i could release it through patreon yeah and it'd be whatever it's just a chance to experiment and not get stagnant and so so i love it for those those reasons and um so those are probably what i sent you as early versions of that they were great and then and it's cool to see, you know, different stuff. Jed Hughes produced a bunch or like whatever. And people just see, it's also a good way to audition producers and see who you click with. And, and, and uh, a
0: great way to audition your own songs too. Yeah.
1: And uh, without it being something that defines you or, you know, if I've got something just really goofy that I want to finish, but I don't necessarily want <laughs> to share with the whole world. Right. Uh, it, it's a cool way to do that. And, and my, my, I think my fans seem to appreciate it. And
0: How do you do that with Patreon?
1: I have 690 patrons
0: that pay a monthly thing and you just have to how they,
1: does that work yeah they they, they contribute anywhere from a dollar a month to more um and <laughs> <To> <laughs> more <laughs> <laughs> well you know there's there's some generous it. people out there and um
0: uh and so do you systematically put stuff out or? well
1: during when i'm at my best i do when I'm at my best, I'm putting a song a month out and then I'm doing a live stream and I'm doing, I have three series, what's Hayes going on about, where I talk for 20 minutes, 30 minutes about a song and just explain who I wrote it with and what the life it had and where it came from and how we recorded it and all that stuff. Uh, I have songs I love, which I just pick a song I love and mm-hmm. sing it and talk about it. And then I have memorabilia Mondays where I just take you know, a poster from your festival and I Hold it up, and I just tell people like, "This is what this was like," and and uh, so it's it's. I think it's, I try to do the things that I would like if I was a supporter of. Somebody. So you're engaged.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sounds like you. Sounds like you found your way back in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, since I put my record out a couple months ago or last month, I, I've I've dropped off because it's been so busy with all of the the record release stuff and the touring that I, I I've dropped the ball on all those things. Um, but I'm gonna pick them up again and, and yeah. trying to be steady about it. It's for me. It's just what's the a record really called? You got it all. You get it you all. You get it all. Yeah, it's really good, man. Thank you. I'm proud of it. Record's called. You get it all. Are we being? I, didn't, I just picked up. We're being filmed. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, guys. Better late than never.
0: <laughs> hey, it's Carl. Everybody,
1: one of, my, one of my best friends, one of the best artists you'll ever see.